This podcast proudly brought to you by Moss Shot Shells. Old school is back in season. Experience superior shells when you go with Boss Shot Shells. Their premium, non-toxic bismuth shells knock birds down so hard that the old guys might just think they're shooting lead again. Make sure you check out Boss Shot Shells for your next purchase of shotgun shells. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. Before we get into everything, I got a little bit of explaining to do. The last two episodes we had going on here, um, we had some terrible audio issues. We'd actually switched over onto a different type of software to do the podcast recording, and it was supposed to level us up and get us some real high-quality stuff, and that stuff fell and fell short. So if you're a podcaster, I'll tell you what software, tell you to avoid it at avoid it like the plague. It was awful. We uh, bash recorded some episodes and it was a struggle to get through them. So um, just in the post, you know, during the podcast, awesome, um, awesome content per usual, but you know, definitely, definitely, I'm definitely frustrated with how that all went down. But you know, enough of that just wanted to Shoot that out to you guys, let you know what was going on with those. So if you had the Shan Bottoms podcast or the JT Calls Turkey podcast, the original ones, bad audio, but I was able to get through that and fix that and post the new updated content on those. So if you had issues with that, go back, check them now. They'll they'll be great, they'll be fixed, and uh, you don't want to miss out on those. So also want to remind you guys, we have the giveaway going on with Bailey Games Calls. Um, you can see it in the Facebook group. You can see it on Duck Gun Chronicle Facebook page and Freelance Duck Hunting page. Anywhere on any of those. Just follow instructions and join up. We're going to be doing the giveaway soon. So that's all we got for that. Now on today's podcast, we got an awesome one, guys. Um, we had Ryan Lilly and his friend Scott um, from Old Town Canoes come on the podcast again. You guys, we had them in the past. Um, and it was an awesome podcast. This one, a pretty interesting topic. We talk about sea ducks and how they get on them in Maine with the kayaks and canoes. So something that I definitely was, was not familiar with till after this, um, and definitely on my bucket list now. So without further ado, a quick word from our partners and we'll jump right into the podcast content. Hi, this is Killian Bailey from Bailey's Game Calls. I'm here to tell you about our duck, goose, and wood duck calls. We use 3D printing technology to revolutionize the industry. This new technology allows us to create calls with the same sound as wood, acrylic, or anything in between that's at a fraction of the price. Make sure to check out baileysgamecalls.com for your next game call. Next, we'd like to give a big thanks to our partners at White Rock Decoys. Be a nomad and get out further with their system of windsocks and silhouettes. Use discount code DUCK. Gun Pod at checkout for 10% off your next order at whiterockdecoys.com. 
We'd also like to give a big thanks to our partners over at ShotCam. Now, I've been using ShotCam for the last year, and I can tell you right now, it's a great tool for improving your shooting, whether you're doing clays or live birds, or just want to see some cool footage of your shots after the fact. Make sure to check out ShotCam.com and use discount code DuckGun at checkout for $40 off. What's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host, Elliot, from Freelance Duck Hunting, and we're joined by Ryan from Old Town Canoes again. We had him on a few months back. He is the brand manager over there, and we had an uh, interesting conversation with him um, talking all about what they got going on. But tonight's topic, we're going to be talking about sea duck hunting and how they do it out of their kayaks and some crazy stuff they got going on in Maine. So, and we're also joined by Scott, one of Ryan's buddies. So how are you guys doing tonight? We're doing great. How are you? Doing great. Awesome. Thanks for having us on. Yeah. Real excited to talk to you guys. Thanks. Awesome. I certainly am really excited to talk to you too. Um, I missed the last episode and in my own personal hunting life, I've switched over. We used to use a huge cargo canoe. Then we went to layout boats and switched over from layout boats to kayaks. So I'm really interested to hear more about your guys' kayaks and aspect of. Uh, uh, awesome. Yeah, 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 we, it, you know, working for the company and being able to have a bunch of different boats at our at our disposal, we've definitely experimented with a bunch of different canoe and kayak sizes and shapes and models. And, um, you know, there is no one perfect boat that fits all applications. Um, you know, we found that, you know, certain boats work better in certain instances, but, um, we're, you know, we're happy to talk at, at, at it at length just because, you know, we've basically been doing it primarily out of canoes and kayaks for all this time. So. Sounds great. So let's kind of, um, let people know kind of a little bit more about, uh, just what you got going on, Ryan. Um, I know we, we just had the podcast previously, but for anybody who wasn't there, you know, let's just, uh, kind of fill them in a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So I work for uh, old town canoe, um, up here in Maine and, uh, you know, we've been around since 1898. Uh, we make manufacture obviously canoes and kayaks and, um, you know, the company has, um, over the years made duck blind you know, uh, duck layout boats and, uh, various watercrafts of different sizes, but really we found our sweet spot with, you know, sporting canoes and, and kayaks. And recently we've done a great business with fishing kayaks and sit on tops. Um, and so, um, I was on most recently to talk about our newest sporting canoe called the discovery solo sportsman. 119 and uh, it's essentially a, a solo hybrid canoe and kayak that it's basically a canoe hull with a kayak seat so you sit on the floor and paddle it like a kayak so it's super duper stable it's only 11 and a half feet long weighs about 54 pounds so it's a really easy grab and go watercraft and uh, conceals really easy you can fit a bunch of decoys in it your dog in it um, and it's rigged out to uh to basically have like a shotgun holder on it. You can affix a blind to it. It's got dedicated slots for your shotgun shells and the armrests. Uh, the seat reclines so you can lay um, nearly 
you know, flatten it. Um, so it's a sweet little craft. And um, so we were talking about that boat and really kind of, you know, what Scott and I do and our experiences really led into the development of that boat. Um, and, you know, we, we basically, you know, in our couple of years of my three years of being with the company and all the duck hunting we've been doing over the years, and it really led to that project, that canoe project and taking all the feedback that, you know, we had and our buddies have from our use of all these different canoes and kayaks and we made nearly a perfect little uh, duck boat for various applications. Awesome. And kind of shifting towards the, the sea duck topic. Um, will you be uh, trying the solo canoe out there on the ocean at all? <laughs> you know, absolutely. Um, you know, Scott definitely is, I'll let him speak to to it, but he definitely has a bigger pair than I do and certain <laughs> hairy weather scenarios. You know, there's many, been many days, Scott, where I'm like, I don't know if we, yeah, we'll be fine. You know, so, uh, but we, you know, we, where, where we're at in Maine, the Maine coast is very rugged. Um, it has a lot of fingers and, and inlets and coves. And so, you know, it's a, it's a weather game. So you're looking at the, the tides, you're looking at the wind, you're looking at, um, what, what's going on with the weather and you're definitely playing, you know, playing the cards based on where it's going to be calm and, and, and safest. And so I would absolutely take it out. We take canoes and kayaks out on the ocean in the winter all the time. Um, but it is, you know, making sure that you're doing your due diligence, check the forecast and, and play it safe. And, and, um, so yes, we take canoes and kayaks. I'll definitely take the solo kayak or the solo canoe out on the on the water. In, in fact, we we have. I mean, that's Scott. I won't speak for yeah, you. We, but you love that boat. Yeah, it, that boat is absolutely amazing. We paddled it a bunch last year um, out on the coast, and it, you know, Ryan's right. Uh, just paying attention to the the weather, where you're going to go, kind of doing a lo- bunch of research as far as. Um, tides and where they're going to be because our tides fluctuate quite a bit so um but but that that boat is is very very solid and you can throw a ton of gear into it but it paddles just like a kayak but you can kind of fit stuff like a canoe so it's kind of the ultimate for Maine anyway uh, it's the ultimate boat for for myself personally sweet and uh you know being from indiana and elliot from kansas we don't have to worry about the tides or um, I, I don't have to worry about white caps, that's for sure, anything like that. So it's it's really interesting to kind of see other people's perspective on on all that. Um, you know, and I did take the solo canoe out in the river, and I'll, one thing I'll say about that for sure is that boat flies. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I got a I got a two person canoe, um, and compared to that, it's just night and day. I can't believe how fast you can just zip around in that. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. incredibly lightweight yeah. too. Yeah, and that's probably a lot of it <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's jump right into the sea duck hunting. Um, like I said, Elliot and I, neither one of us has sea duck hunt, hunted at all. And, uh, you know, it's just not really a topic we're real familiar about. So um, kind of just give us the lowdown of what you guys do when you're planning to go out on a sea duck hunt. Scott, why don't you take this one? All right. Uh, so first, first off, kind of the biggest thing is just kind of 
trying to find out the the spot that we're thinking about going. Um, usually, there's some sort of species that we're maybe trying to target, or somebody that hasn't been in the group before, and maybe it's a you know something that they're trying to take off their kind of bucket list or or off their list of harvest species. Um, but typically, for myself, I'm looking at you know, the different tides, figuring out exactly when we're going to be able to get the boats out so that you're not dragging them through kind of a tidal uh, marsh or through the mud. Um, and then trying to pick an island that we can get out to um, to run kind of the long lines. And so big weather windows, things like that might dictate that. Um, when you're in canoes and kayaks, wind obviously can be a very big um, factor. And so we we do a ton of scouting um there's a ton of windshield time but there's also a ton of like online scouting just putting all those factors together and kind of making the best educated guess as to where we're going to go um as far as like initial setup we and and we you know have developed i'd say you know a dozen solid spots and they all have their advantages um you know where if we've got like a northwest wind we know this one spot will be safest or if we got a southern, you know southerly wind we know we should go to this other spot or you know the tide's doing something funky so we, we've kind of built a cache of spots and we play those spots based on weather and, and tides like you were saying um you know there's unique areas where you know we're literally hunting from a rock outcropping and then there's other scenarios where this is one spot called seal reef where it, you know, you're paddling out in the dark at uh, as the tide is going down and the island does not exist until the tide hits a certain spot. And then literally, oh, you know, you're sitting over where the rock is and all of a sudden the rock starts to appear and you slowly unload onto the island as it drains with water. And I mean, our tides are like, I don't know, 15, 20 feet, uh, you know, yeah. they'll, they'll fluctuate about that much. And so there's spots that literally will paddle up and it doesn't exist and five minutes later it exists and then you get off and you hunt until the water starts coming back up and then you load up and go now be, being a kansas boy myself i know almost nothing about tides so educate me a little bit the tides um they they they're based on the moon so the tides um different days may be different times as far as when they fluctuate correct yeah that's correct they're gonna fluctuate kind of daily weekly and then so uh, there's plenty of nice online resources to figure out exactly what the tide's going to do and they do it based upon harbor so um like for us you can kind of zoom in on a specific harbor but even then it, it can dictate um they they'll usually fluctuate daily i'd say roughly roughly an hour um so if you know a tides at like 6 40 a.m and it's the lowest of low tide at 640. The following day, it's probably right around like 740 when it's going to be low tide again. And so, so do you guys hunt the tides more than you do daylight? Like like when we hunt, it's always, you know, first thing in the morning or, or evening. So you guys hunt the tides. Does that dictate more when you hunt more than time of day? The tide and the time of day, it, it, probably when the tide is, um, whether it's going to be low or high or in the middle kind of dictates what spot we might go to because there's some spots that we can hunt, either, whether it's the lowest of low tide or the high tide. Um, but it really dictates probably more how you get there um, versus, you know, it, I don't think you necessarily want to hunt 
uh, a tied spot in for me personally in maybe like the late afternoon because it's not it's not going to be great most of the birds are getting up and moving off um, early in the morning still it's funny i feel like on the ocean the birds are moving a lot more than you, know, you feel like you know traditional dabbler hunting on a freshwater pond or on you know river or something it's like you get the first light flight and then it kind of dies and lulls this i feel like it's always you do have that initial push in the morning when the birds are coming in um but i feel like on the ocean scott do you feel this way that like there's always action i mean there's always birds flying yeah i think it depends sometimes on the species like your buffleheads and your golden eyes are going to kind of push around in some of the harbors that we hunt um, based upon how the tide fluctuates predominantly i see like the eiders we have a lot of common eiders is one of the things we're pretty well known for um and you'll see kind of a big push of them coming in earlier in the morning and then they'll kind of mill around a little bit and then you'll see them push out back out to sea and so you're kind of catching them twice uh when with eiders but like a buffleheads they'll bounce back and forth kind of all day long and uh, we have a lot of um long-tailed ducks are commonly known as old squaws here in maine and so those will also kind of kind of group up into little pods and then they'll they'll jump back and forth around the islands so scouting um has to be a kind of difficult um i mean how far are you guys going out from shore are you hunting places that you can't see from shore um because i I feel like that would make scouting a lot more difficult not being able to get as close to the birds yeah you you can glass pretty far from a lot of spots um so the the islands where we hunt um or the peninsulas that we hunt are kind of like long fingers so you can kind of see across but typically majority of our paddles that um we do are right around probably a mile and a half to i think the longest one i do is three miles oh wow that is pretty far so how long does it take to do a a three mile paddle uh we're probably doing it about 45 minutes and that's like in the pitch black with no headlamps or anything (laughs) that's fast typically typically too like those longer those longer um you know those the ones that are further out we're using pedal powered kayaks uh or we're partnering up and taking a traditional canoe um and uh in some cases we've got you know square stern canoes with like a four horse yamaha so you know we'll employ Uh, different watercrafts for the longer hunts um you know that it's a lot easier to get out than paddling you know traditional and when you say three miles is that is that some of that shoreline or are you talking three miles like out three miles straight no, pretty much shoreline i mean there, there will be some stretches um you know but for the most part we're you know we're following shoreline and island hopping when when i hunt with ryan it's mostly shoreline with some of my other <laughs> I, i've done somewhere that's out and across and it, it's can get a little sketchy you got to be careful but um you know for the most part yeah we're making pretty educated things based upon you know depth charts and things like that where we're trying to stay closer to shore out of kind of the the bigger waves and kind of this the the areas where you know wind might funnel through a certain spot and really grab a hold of the boat so you know there's there's been some trial not a ton of error yet um (laughs) but uh i think you know 
we've been everybody that we hunt with and that we take to the ocean um and when we're doing a canoe or kayak are all really experienced uh paddlers um you know we're all all wearing all of our safety gear and things like that so um there's typically not too too much of an issue at least for myself when we're paddling sometimes when we're bringing out less experienced people that's when we might opt for you know maybe the boat with uh like like around was saying the boat with the the yamaha motor um just because it helps put them a little bit more at ease but the, kind of the pedal drive you... is the pedal drive makes that a very very short makes a long mm -hmm. distance feel very very short i mean those things crank they go like what six six miles an hour right yeah we get some kayaks that have these pedal powered um you know propulsion uh it's basically called the pedal drive and it's a, a big thing and kayak fishing right now and it's one of our hottest selling boats and we've employed it for sea duck hunting not only is it you know a lot easier to propel a kayak with your leg muscles and your arms for length of time but it also keeps your hands free so if you wanted to keep your shotgun you know over your lap or if you were rigging long lines uh it's it makes like rigging long lines on the ocean or you know if you're fishing the great lakes or something a, a breeze so we we use a uh, pedal drive systems quite a bit you know we'll if we're going out with a group of buddies someone will take a traditional like discovery 158 canoe we'll freight it down with all the decoys and then we'll have a couple of these pedal crafts that we use to rig long lines and to kind of be our retriever um, and we'll use it to retrieve ducks and then some of the shorter um, smaller hunts where we're in more protected waters um well well that's where we'll use like the discovery solo sportsman 119. i was actually on your website and i was looking at those um pedal drive um canoes i think it was kayaks and uh, do you steer I, i'm totally unfamiliar with with anything like that do you steer with your feet as well so you can actually no. move the prop how does that yeah, steer you, so it's a, it's like uh it's like a recumbent bicycle and the fact that you're you're sitting in a in a chair and you're pedaling the kayak um, with your feet, but you've got a rudder system that um, is controlled by like a knob in your hand on the side of the kayak. So it's almost like a you know suicide knob on a steering wheel, um, that sort of device uh, at your left-hand side. So you're actually controlling the kayak with a rudder control knob on, on your left-hand side. Wow. Um, so yeah, you're, you're pretty much, you're, you're doing all the work with your legs. You're sitting in a beach chair that's a very comfortable seat and you get your shotgun at the ready. It's pretty awesome. What is your lightest kayak that has a uh, foot propelled like that? Out of curiosity. Our lightest would be the top water pedal that comes in, you know, with the drive and the seat, it comes in at um, just under a hundred pounds. Wow. You take the that's drive light. out. That's light. Yeah. If you take, yeah. If you take the drive out and you take the seat off, um, it's only about, 82 pounds uh, or actually 78 pounds, excuse me. Um, and you can flip it over and put it on the roof rack of your truck or in the bed of your truck. It, it actually sits flat. So you don't need like a special kayak cradle for it. So it's really convenient. That's, that's a really nice boat too. Um, it's 10 and a half feet. So it's pretty short. It's very, very stable. It, we make it to where you can stand up in it. So if you're, you know, needed to chuck some decoys, it's stable enough to stand up and throw a decoy. Um, so yeah, they're, they're awesome crafts. And, you know, again, we design them for uh, uh, fishing purposes, but we found that they work most excellent for, uh, for duck hunting as well. 
Awesome. And so kind of going into uh, the gear that you guys use for sea deck hunting, um, just get, give us the lowdown on that and kind of how that differs from uh, puddle duck hunting. Um, so as far as like kind of, because we have such kind of fast and strong tides, um, kind of our anchor system that we use, we're running a long line system, typically like two lines, maybe a little bit more, um, depending on the species, but we're typically anchoring both, um, ends of the long line. And what, what I commonly use is just like a, a 10 pound free weight or dumbbell or something like that, that we have laying around. Um, we've used like old discarded brake rotors off of trucks before. Um, that's kind of a great way to do it on the cheap. And then we're running a series of long lines. We have uh, drop clips so that it clips onto the line and then it hangs down. So you can paddle uh, a canoe in between the decoys. You don't have to worry about kind of hanging up or grabbing the line and kind of pulling the decoys. And then depending on the species we're targeting, um, we run those differently uh, as far as setup, but typically we're running kind of a long line setup, um, which requires just, a, you know, a ton of different rope. I, I spool much, a bunch of our long lines onto, uh, you could get them at like Home Depot, they're like electrical cord um, rollers. And so you can kind of manage all your rope. You roll it right up as if um, almost like a large, fishing reel or like a spool um and then yeah so we're running kind of heavy weights on both sides of our rope and how many uh decoys do you guys generally have on those long lines i usually probably overdo it so we typically at minimum are probably running about 24 to 48 decoys which for people that have large boats and things like that doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're packing in canoes, kayaks mm -hmm. and everything, that's, that's quite a few for, for a couple guys. I mean, I, I wouldn't say, you know, for like a, a goose spread or something like that, that you guys are used to maybe in Kansas, that's probably nothing, <laughs> but you know, it, it definitely is, is plenty to get the job done here. Awesome. So how deep, how deep is it normally where, where you're at? Uh, I'd say you can vary, yeah, most spots probably go from can be a you know a couple feet all the way up to I think the deepest spot that we go at high tide is like forty five. But the thing is, yeah, the the tide changes it. So if it's you know two feet at low tide, it's going to be twenty feet at high tide. Hmm. Yeah. So, but you know we're you know we've kind of developed systems too where. You know, more often than not, we're not hunting from the boats. We're hunting from a rock ledge or land and on some in some form. So we'll typically, if we're going out with four guys, you know, two guys will be on decoy duty, um, setting the lines, and then two guys are kind of setting up shop on the island and tucking everything away and getting things set up or cooking breakfast. Um, so we usually develop a system where you know we we divide and conquer. Um, cause really our, our window to hunt is pretty brief when you consider, you know, we got to get there when the tide's going out. So we're, we're hunting the slack tide. And then when the tide starts coming back in, we have a very limited time before we have to pack up again, um, and get going. So, so you're talking like a couple hours or. Yeah, I'd say no more than I'd, you know, four hours. And then we're, you know, we're kind of at the max 
Yeah, four is probably the average for sure. Yeah. So is there any other uh, type of gear that um, you guys have that's really necessary for sea deck hunting? Warm, uh, warm. Oh, go you got to have, yeah, you got to dress warm. So like layering is, you know, is key. Scott turned me on to these. So now we all run them uh, is uh, we got LL Bean breathable waders uh, that you can layer a bunch underneath. So um, I actually, one thing I want to invest in uh, this next year, because I tend to get pretty cold um, and sit on the ocean is I want to get some of the, like the Primaloft pants to go underneath them. But typically I'll like run like a long john or the base there and like a, my, you know, Nike track pants. And then um, sometimes on cold days I'll, I'll run, you know, extra thick thermals and like a wool pant and then and then my waders, but it's just having a good layering system and packing extra gloves and then packing like decoy neoprene decoy gloves um, because it's really easy to get cold fast uh, with the wind and with the cold ocean water. So just like having a backup plan for if anything gets wet and you know, the critical things like hats and, and gloves and, um, and just making sure you got a good layering system. And then, and then obviously like a floating gun case is key too. Do you guys ever run dogs on any of your hunts? Typically, no. We've had some people offer, but a lot of the rocks that we hunt over on are really, really jagged. And then, you know, you add in wind, tide, wave height, plus throw a dog into a canoe or kayak, it gets even a little bit sketchier. Um, but just really the, the elements, I mean, a lot of the times that we're going out, it's mm -hmm air temp is five degrees to negative 10 to maybe a high of 20. And so it's just super cold mm -hmm. conditions to run a dog in yep. when, and, and the versatility of having canoes and kayaks, especially the smaller kayaks. I mean, you can zip out there and grab any down birds. Usually you got to rearrange some sort of long line because the tides pulled it one way or the other. Um, but for the most part, I think we kind of stay away from dogs because we just don't have a great system for mm -hmm. heating them and keep, keep you know, keeping them safe. I yeah, think I can see that. The, rock, sure. the, rock, the rocks being the sharpest thing is probably the, the thing I fear the most. Yeah. I, you know, I know some guys that, that run dogs in Maine, sea duck hunting, but typically they're hunt, hunting out of like a, you know, a 22 foot Lund, uh, Alaskan. And they're jump, you know, they're they're motoring over to the bird. The dog jumps out, gets the bird. Um, not a lot of you know running a dog from a small craft or or shore, just because this is like Scott was saying, rocks and tide, and uh, it gets sketchy pretty fast, and you can lose a dog pretty easy. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's actually kind of I think kind of rare to see people running dogs on the ocean here and uh you know there's only a few breeds that really are rugged enough i think uh in the dead of winter to do that so yeah yeah i mean the other thing i'd say is that most of the time when we push out to the ocean it's when everything else starts to freeze inland and we're not chasing puddler ducks anymore and we're like okay now you know things are cold enough and everything's frozen and locked up so I mean, I think I've seen other guys run dogs earlier in the season on the ocean. That's probably fine, but just typically we're starting to hit the ocean kind of middle of December to middle of January when the season ends. Gotcha. 
Yeah, definitely can see that for sure. Uh, a dog is an awesome asset, but not worth losing. <laughs> exactly. So let's jump to species. What kind of species of sea ducks um, do you guys have the opportunity to chase out there in Maine? Uh, most, most kind of prevalent that, you know, I, I myself am kind of addicted to trying to go after and get, and that's what leads me to paddling in some pretty harsh or conditions that other people might not paddle in is just chasing, you know, like Drake common eiders. Um, we do have a ton of long tail ducks, uh, buffle heads, golden eyes, um, scoters, scoters. Yep. Thanks. And uh, we've got a we've got a um, a, a large population of black ducks too. So, um, and they tend to congregate on salt up here. Um, so it's early in the season too, when when the dabbler season is still open, uh, and sea ducks just fired off. You know, we have the opportunity to shoot geese and black ducks, and you know, in some cases, mallards um which is pretty cool too and we find that you know it's kind of late in the season so the migration's starting to fire fire and uh get really good of course as the season's winding down so we find that a lot of the you know a lot of rare dabbler ducks too like we don't get a lot of pintails up here um and some of these other kind of species that are more prevalent in midwestern or the uh, midwest flyway we'll see them kind of congregate and we'll have opportunities on the coast. So apart from like our normal, you know, awesome sea duck, um, you know, species list here, we, we do um, get to uh, hunt the normal dabbling species on the ocean as well and get some of the rare, the rare ones passing through. And then we even have a few guys that take king eiders. We have some kings that fly through as well. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty diverse. It really is. Um, but really the common eider and, um, you know, in the meat of the, uh, sea duck season, it's, it's common eiders and, and long tails. And when you, when you guys are picking out a place to hunt, um, what typically brings these ducks to congregate in areas, um, that you're, that you're hunting? Is it just loafing or are they feeding on something that makes some places better than others? A little bit of both. I think you'll find that, you know, they, they're coming into some of, the, some of these harbors to kind of loaf, hang out like eiders for sure will be flying in um, from, you know, they spend mo majority of their night rafted up way off the coast in the kind of more of what I would consider that the sea. Um, and then you'll, you'll kind of watch them fly in as a huge cloud. And then they split off into these, you know, I, I kind of described it earlier as fingers. You'll see them split off and travel in kind of bigger groups. And they're, they're kind of going after um, more like uh, mussels, clams, kind of mm. different, different things like that. And so they'll, they'll head to some of those areas, but I think majority of them are just, you know, eating and kind of seeking somewhat shelter, but although they're pretty hardy birds when you start to chase sea ducks do they taste any different than uh, i've eaten golden eye um and the only thing i can really tell is the meat's a little bit darker a little harder to clean but your majority of your sea ducks what's the taste like compared to a golden eye or puddle ducks you you have to do a pretty serious kind of brining slash 
Um, <laughs> so they're gamey. <laughs> yeah, they're they're yeah, gamey. yeah they're gamey. Not they're for the not... heart. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so probably a good option is like summer sausage or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah a lot exactly. of a lot of people do sausage and different things like that. I've heard. You know, everybody has a different palate, so I think you know, I would funny. I would go as far to say that it's like seafood meets uh, waterfowl meat. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have it's a, an interesting taste. Do you guys yeah. have a favorite recipe? Each one of you guys. I've got a you know I I think the the key for me is I've got a Traeger, um, so I will brine it for a couple days. Um, and then I'll just, I'll smoke it and, and smoke it down into a jerky and, uh, it's excellent that way. Uh, that's typically the way that I find, cause every, I've tried a few other ways and I haven't really quite nailed it. I wouldn't say I'm a culinary expert by any stretch of the imagination. So if it requires much effort, I typically botch it. So I, I just kind of smoke it into jerky and it works and it, and it, um, you know, my, you know, my kids like it too so it gets to the yeah point I, where... I usually do a pretty good brine and then soak it in milk for a couple of days and then slice it really thin and then do some sort of marinade and kind of flip it on the grill a little bit and that seems like maybe like a, a like a red wine vinegar so what's the um, milk doing that process marinade. uh it helps kind of break it down but it helps kind of take some of the gamey kind of almost fishy yeah. flavor out of it it absorbs some of that flavor that that rank flavor hmm. the other yeah. big key is any fat that you find on it like taking that off as fast as you can because that'll hold all that um, that's what i've been told about mergansers is that we get quite a few mergansers here in kansas and i don't personally shoot them but i've got a friend um that says about the fat it's like as long as you get off all the fat that's what holds most of the the poor taste in these birds so i, I still yeah. shoot them and eat them but I, say, I, I tried that once but i don't shoot them anymore because yeah. <laughs> it's not worth it yeah they're you know, I, experimented, looks nasty. I experimented with ring necks um which uh i i i'd heard that the the meat's pretty darn good as long as you take the breast skin off and I tried one, you know, I, I cooked one with breast skin on and one without, and I actually thought it was pretty darn good both ways. So, uh, but I've tried that with buffle heads and it was no good. It was like, yeah, you want to get rid of the skin and the fat. You know, there'll be somebody listening from like Louisiana that's like, as long as you put Creole seasoning on it, it's going to taste delicious. <laughs> Some kind of gumbo or something like that. Yeah. All right, I guess if you're eating merganzers, you'll be fine. <laughs> Well, we're on the topic of mergansers. I always have to say it, but uh, if you if you kill a merganser, you save a thousand trout. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Very true. Jordan hates mergansers. I had him here down to Kansas for a hunt, and it's all he wanted to talk about was killing mergansers. It's like we don't have any trout in Kansas. I don't even think about so, trout. I hate those. So the thing for me, I live yeah. like right on the line where like trout can barely exist because we're like f far enough south. It's too warm. And if I go a little bit north, uh, up into Michigan, they have excellent trout fishing. Uh, but not yeah. to get too far off topic. So our trout populations really struggle. So anytime I see a merganser, um, I'm not thinking twice. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, back to the duck hunting. Um, we kind of briefly discussed it uh, while we're talking about your guys' trip out to the islands. But um, 
what is your preference on the kayaks versus canoes? Um, taking your gear out there, um, kind of go into more detail on what you guys got going with that. So if I'm, if I'm on a freshwater, like a, a river or a pond, I'll typically grab my, like my top water or my predator, uh, kayak that I have affixed a blind to like, I, it's basically my layout boat. I'm able to lay the, lay the seats flat and I've got a grass in and, um, if anybody's interested on how we do that, if you go to the oldtowncanoe.com website, you can go into our blog. We have some articles on how to turn your your kayak into a, a layout blind. So that's like my freshwater setup. But since we're not really hunting out of the sitting in the kayaks uh, when we're on the ocean, uh, typically it's weather dependent. And, and um, I w- would you agree, Scott? Yeah, I think a lot of times it really depends on the area we're hunting. You know, sometimes we do a little bit more like almost like run and gun where we're going a bunch of different spots. And so we'll kind of pack a little bit lighter. There's certainly other times where, um, you know, we might have like a Discovery 169. It's kind of my favorite length. And we'll freight that right down with all kinds of gear and then we'll use kayaks to kind of be the lighter boats that are going to go retrieve birds or go do other scouting and things like that so but really certainly i think weather plays probably the biggest role in what we decide to take because you don't want to take a real low profile kayak if you're going to be paddling through large waves gotcha so uh kind of while we're on the topic of kayaks as well um something something that ryan mentioned the last time he was on the podcast um, one type of strategy you guys use is rolling up on rafts of sea ducks with your kayaks. You guys want to go in and, uh, you know, kind of share what you guys do with that. Well, I know this is a, a divisive topic and there's some purists out there, uh, that are anti-jump shooting. Um, <laughs> uh, but, um, we, uh, I won't speak for Scott, you know, Scott can, can, can be his own man, but I'm not beyond uh, jump shooting, especially on the ocean, since they do raft up and they can be tricky. Um, and with a pedal kayak, you can keep your shotgun in your lap and do a really good job of, of putting a sneak on. And that's a really fun way to hunt them on the ocean. Um, you know, cause you, you know, it's not like you're in a small pocket on freshwater and you're pulling them in and, it, a lot of times it's pass shooting. Uh, if they're not decoying, some days the, the birds just don't decoy. They don't slow down. They're rafting up on the other side. And so um, part scouting, part um, uh, rolling up on them and, and jump shooting, it's a ton of fun. And the pedal kayaks are perfect for it. And uh, it's a safe way to do it too because you know, the sit-on-top kayaks that we make, they self-bail. And so you can go out in some pretty rough conditions and have your hands free for shotgunning and you can also retrieve your duck and keep on motoring. So it's a, that's a really fun, fun way to hunt. And I know there's some people out there that are <laughs> anti shooting. I am not of that camp. Yeah. And uh, me and Elliot yeah, I, aren't as well. Um, go ahead, Scott. I'll let you chime uh, in on that. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I think there's, you know, we typically will set up and try to decoy birds for the morning. And then as kind of the morning, and then maybe the tide starts coming up and you're like, all right, we probably have like an hour left. Well, we might head out and do that a little bit. 
Um, you know, certainly when we're going and scouting a new spot, you we're typically always have a shotgun out just in case you roll up on a, a little raft of birds or something like that. But I mean, we, we try to mix it up pretty good. Awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. Um, just going at it like that. Uh, you guys, uh, when you roll up on them, how many birds do you normally have the opportunity of shooting? I mean, when I'm thinking a raft, is it, you know, you say you get sometimes the smaller rafts, but if you roll into a big raft, are you, uh, you know, getting pretty close to your limit on shooting into those or how does that normally play out? Uh, typically for myself personally, or people that I, you know, I've helped try to do like somebody might've traveled here and they're like, you know, I really want a Drake, like a, just a stud long tailed duck. Um, and so typically we're, we're picking out a nice Drake and it's one shot at that bird. I think you have the opportunity if you wanted to, you could probably take more, but we're usually, we're typically trying to harvest just a Drake. Um, mm-hmm. but like with long tails, you could shoot them and then they'll bump up and they'll probably go about 600 yards and then you could paddle that way and jump them up again if you wanted to. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. So how close can you get to them when you're paddling like that? About 35 yards is probably the closest 40 yards. We're running pretty tight chokes, uh, too. You know, we're, 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 um, yeah, we're, we're, we're downrange and, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's a different game when you're on the ocean just because it's a lot of pass shooting. It's a, you know, you, you think you're leading the bird by 30 feet and you see your spray come up 30 feet behind them. It's like some of the most challenging wing shooting. <laughs> and then to, to boot, they're typically farther away from you and then you got wind. And so we're running pretty tight chokes um, that can typically poke a little bit further. So what, what kind of ammo do you guys run as far as like shot size and shell length and, uh, you know, uh, for your sea duck hunting? Typically, uh, depending on what we're going after. So buffalo heads and long tails, I'm typically running like a three inch number three or number two. And then sometimes with an eider, I'll go to a three inch either, uh, two, if, we think that we're going to get them in real close or I'll go BB if they're probably going to be out about like 40 yards. Um, you know, with, with like the, especially like, you know, we were just talking about jump shooting, um, going with like a three inch three and then waiting for them to, we don't typically water swat them right there. We wait for them to, as when they lift off the water and then shoot them. So a three inch three is pretty great for a long tail. And do you guys have any uh, birds left on your bucket list as far as sea ducks, or have you guys been doing it enough that you uh, kind of got that all uh, knocked off your list? I, I still haven't, I still haven't bagged a, uh, a scoter. That'd be pretty cool. Um, they, I, I, I think that they're pretty elusive. I haven't seen very many of them. Um, and then I would love a chance at a king hider in Maine just because of the rarity of having them fly through. Uh, maybe just be a, a cool thing to, to get one in Maine. And what's the difference between an eider and a king eider? Um, they're slightly different. Uh, when you're looking at a picture of them, like a king eider's got, um, I don't know the, the anatomy terms, but like 
the, the forehead of the bird, if you will, is much more pronounced on a king eider. And I'm wondering if it got its name because it kind of resembles wearing a crown versus a common eider has got uh, more of a normal shaped head. Um, and uh, they're pretty similar in size, though. I think the common eider's larger body size typically. Scott, do you know more about that? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty much it as far as I know. I think the biggest thing that determines the difference is that, like, the common eider's actual, like, um, migration path will stretch down a lot further down. I think they'll even get a mess, you know, like, um, around, like, New Jersey and stuff like that. And, you know, your kings pretty much are ending their migration maybe maine new hampshire maybe massachusetts um, but i don't think that they go down very very far and um so i think it's just it's more rare for us to have them i'm looking at a picture uh side by side between the two that king eider really doesn't have an usual shaped head doesn't it yeah it does yeah pretty wild looking bird i think their body size if i remember correctly when i read, read about them their body size is typically smaller but they got that really unique head they're, i mean they're very similar in size um but their king eiders typically are a little bit smaller if i remember correctly somebody can fact check me and, and correct me but um yeah they, they're pretty rare around here i guess and um they're like you know alaska that's that's the that's their their eider, you know, and, and the mm -hmm. rain, um, you know, we, we don't get them very frequently here. So what's cool about eiders too, is they typically, they live a long time. And I had a friend shoot one last year that was 28 years old. Wow. Um, had one banded that was 28 years old. So, um, pretty friggin' cool. Yeah. That's uh, crazy. You think about yeah. All right. So the question we've all been waiting for, if you could only hunt one type of hunting for the rest of your life, puddle duck hunting or sea duck hunting, which one would you guys choose? Oh, that's super tough. Um, <laughs> I I would probably go puddle duck. Uh, yeah, there's just I, something about I would that. too. Yeah, say, there's just something about mallards like cupping up and landing right at your feet that I don't know if there's many things out there that are as great as that. <laughs> yeah, amen. <laughs> what about black ducks? Are they pretty similar cupping in? There. Uh, yeah, when you get them to cup up and come <laughs> in, they're 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 a little bit wearier than uh, mallards in my experience. Interesting. But, Do yeah, you guys sorry, have any I mean, thoughts? Do you guys have any thoughts about the new mallard limits? over your way i get it after struggling through this last year i get it um i i swear to you like i put in a lot of days and very few of them i saw mallards and i thought it was the weirdest thing i thought maybe i was just getting worse at hunting <laughs> that, that's what, what i told him he was doing <laughs> yeah I'm like, I don't get it. You know, I'm seeing more wood ducks than I typically see, and I'm seeing a lot less mallards. And I definitely noticed it. And uh, once once I saw that report come out, I think they were talking about it in like November or so, it started to make sense to me. I was like, okay, so it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> Numbers are down. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would rather us 
change the regulations to bring the numbers back up? Because, I mean, it was, they took a noticeable – I don't know about you, Scott, but I noticed a significant – it was significant. I saw a lot less mallards this year. Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard for me because I had probably one of my better seasons that I've had in the last, like, 12 years of doing this. But, um, I, you know, as far as the, the limit dropping, I think, you know, whatever we can do as hunters to preserve this for our kids and our kids' kids, then – you know, hey, at, at the end of the day, the majority of the time, I'm going out just for the experience to hang out with my buddies, see something that most people don't even get out of bed in time enough to see. And so, you know, whether I'm shooting at four mallards or shooting at two, I'd also say, you know, majority of the time for Maine, or for myself, I think it's pretty rare that we're, we're not going out shooting limits every day. I would think most people are, you know, lucky to come home with like two or three birds yeah and that's uh, a on a, on average i'd say but yeah i think that's definitely a great perspective to take on it um and that's easy for me to stay over here in indiana where our limit hasn't changed but uh um right. kind of uh you know with that what on your normal season do you guys uh i guess what percentage of your bag is typically a mallard is it gonna affect it a lot as far as uh you know um do you normally shoot more than two mallards anyway I don't, well, this, this year was the first year that I was really shooting up around. I actually, you know, managed to get a couple, quite a few limits on the times that I was going out on mallards, but previous years it's been now maybe like two, two, yeah. per, two mallards per person or something like that on, you know, a nice solid day, but we're usually mixing it in with uh green wing teal or wood ducks. Um, and, you know, uh, one of the, the hunting partners that we have that, I go hunting with him quite a bit. Um, you know, if we shoot a couple birds and we just feel like we've had a good hunt, then we just take the shells out of the gun and sit there and watch birds and just hang out and chit chat versus actually just, you know, I, I think we've kind of, for ourselves personally, we've kind of gotten a little bit past needing to have limits and it's more about wanting to have a good experience. And so I know we've, we've gotten to the point where we shot a, a drake mallard and then just unloaded the guns and sat there and watched tons of other birds dump into the hole but it, that's all that's all we would need to get out of it for that day man that must have been nice uh, it yeah. was i kept telling you come down hunt with me <laughs> awesome. oh man what i would have given to see a bird <laughs> um i you know i was glad to see them change the regulations to and up it to two black ducks because that gets a little hairy around here because, you know, we, we have a, a higher than normal, um, I think, compared to other places in, in the U.S., uh, number of black ducks. So, um, you know, I, I find that my bag typically includes a mallard, a black duck, and, and, and wood ducks. So it's kind of a mixed bag, but like Scott was saying, it's rare to limit. I had couple limits of woodies this year um didn't shoot a single mallard all year which was weird and and had a limit or two of black ducks so which you know that before was one duck so now having been able to shoot two has has been nice awesome that's my number one bucket list duck is the black duck i've never seen one i just find i just think of them as so uh just classic and and just something i would love to experience is to a nice drake black duck. come on up 
have to do that sometime for sure. And say you you shoot a black duck on a rocky kind of craggy coast of <laughs> Maine with the sun coming up, and you dump it right into the decoys, and then you're like, "Yep, I'm pretty good. This is pretty good." <laughs> yeah. yeah, that does sound amazing. Yeah, that sounds like say, a bucket if, list right there. If there's one thing that we have, I mean, the scenery that we get to enjoy in Maine, I mean, I'd put it up there against quite a few other places you know we may sure. not have the 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 full limits and things like that but you know when you're you're looking at the scenery and you're watching that that sun come up over the coast it's it's pretty incredible what's the hunting pressure like out there you guys just pretty much have it to yourself or, or is there a lot of people doing it i think it fluctuates a little bit around um like our our deer hunting season so we'll have quite a bit of pressure early on then when rifle season comes in for deer we kind of get the rivers and ponds back a little bit or at least i do i know ryan's a big deer hunter so he heads off and i i tease him because i'm showing him <laughs> limits of mallards and he's sitting in a tree stand <laughs> freezing but uh and then as far as uh coastal hunting you know sea duck hunting i think there's quite a bit of pressure depending on the spot you go there's some spots that you know it, it, like any other hunting, you know, your elk, your deer, if you, if it takes longer and it's harder for you to get there and, or it's harsher conditions to hunt it, there's going to be way less people. And that's mm -hmm. a lot of the times we, the spots we look for are those spots away from where there might be more pressure and, or more birds, you know, they just try to get some of these rocky islands and things to ourselves. And so we try to stay away from, I think, if you look at Maine in general, I'd say sea duck hunting probably um, is is more pressured from guide services, mm. and so then yeah. compared to like puddle ducks and things like that. So you can get to some kind of territory spots where you know that's that guide spot that he goes all the time, and we, myself personally, we try to stay away from those and mm -hmm. go to our own little neck of the woods. You know, uh, you know, Ducks Unlimited has done a couple of their DU films. Well, they had a DU film up here, and I feel like that would kind of put Maine on the map a little bit. And it seems to be – I'm noticing more and more posts and uh, blogs and things that are about coming to Maine to hunt sea ducks. And I've noticed a lot more sea duck guide services kind of popping up in recent years. So it seems like it's growing in popularity, at least the sea duck side. Um, I uh, recently got into field hunting, which is a new thing for me. And up in the northern part of Maine, there's a lot of potato fields. And I was blown away by the pressure up there. Um, being kind of from south central Maine, waterfowl hunting, you know, like he was saying, kind of you got a couple weeks where there's a lot of pressure because people want to fire a gun. And then deer, deer season comes around and it quiets down on the water, but up in the County, or we call it the County. It's like the top part of Maine, like goose hunting is huge, like the Midwest huge. And I had no idea. And I was kind of brought into the fold up there. I got a buddy that lives up there and he, um, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's battling over, you know, um getting permission from landowners and getting there first and much more than i've seen in any other form of hunting in maine um, but the goose hunting is is very serious up there there's some awesome awesome hunting up there for for goose man i gotta say again i'm just so uh 
maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm just surprised by uh, the variety of uh, types of hunting you guys have in Maine and all the different waterfowl opportunities you have, which is just awesome. So I guess uh, we did this last time, but I think right now is a, a perfect time to jump into the lightning round. Um, and Scott, you'll be able to jump in this one for the first time. Uh, but it's okay. quick questions, quick answers, uh, just helping people better know what kind of waterfowl hunter you are. So let's jump right into it. All right, what kind of gun do you guys shoot? Shoot a Benelli Supernova. Ditto. And uh, what is your uh, brand of ammo preference? Oh, what am I shooting? Um, I know it's lightning round. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, what was I shooting this past year? Uh, heavy, heavy steel or Kent or whatever is on sale and can grab quickly. Yeah, I'm a cheap ammo guy. Uh, but, you know, since I had such a bad year this year, uh, the, the few times I was putting birds on the ground, I was using the expensive stuff. So it started to kind of play with my head a little bit. <laughs> I hear you on that. Um, let's, what's the next one I'm thinking of right now? Uh, what's your favorite terrain to hunt? Uh, I, I like, you know, rivers. Um, you're like, we've got a section of the river up here uh, near Old Town that it's got a lot of islands and oak trees and, and uh, I love that. The slow moving river is, I would take that any day of the week. Awesome. Yeah, that's probably mine with snow banks on the side. Nice <laughs> kind of like oxbow and sweet do you guys get flooded vegetation up in those oxbows yeah quite a yep. time and that's where the ducks head to the puddle ducks yeah i did really well on some of our slower moving rivers once some of the other things started to freeze up and just finding you know finding the x around one of those mm -hmm. corners where they just wanted to be and i mean it was they were they were landing so close we had to like kind of almost scare them off to before we felt close comfortable shooting so <laughs> How, how do you like that one, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> Rubbing it in. Yeah. Jordan and I had the same relationship this year. I had my best year ever, and Jordan was just struggling like crazy. Worst year ever. Year. And the most yeah. most hunts I'd been on in a year as well. So <laughs> I was trying yeah. to offset it, no, but I, there's no offset in it. No, I had a payoff, though. I was, like, so depressed, and I'd call – Scott and I have this relationship where we call each other pretty much every day on the way into work. And I commiserated with him and just was like, I quit. I, I give up. You know, so <laughs> I had one of those years and then I shot a, the biggest deer I ever shot this year. So I had a little bit of redemption, but I'm hoping my next waterfowl year is better. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, Ryan got man bragging rights with the deer this year for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, poor Jordan, he was struggling so hard and I was here that we were limited out like almost every single hunt. He comes down for a weekend, and it was our worst weekend of the year. <laughs> we scratched out like two or three each hunt. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy. Those, those always just make the following season that much better. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I think I, I went a little off track with the, the lightning around there. Uh, ducks or geese? Ducks. 
ducks. You'd be surprised. We've got a few people who've said geese, but almost everybody's on the the same page with ducks, and I agree. They're they're just so much cooler. The the way they move in the air, they're acrobatics, and just everything about them. Yeah. I I did have a lot of fun with the geese, though, this last year. Oh, for sure. For sure. It's fun. There's something to be said about hunting in a field. That's pretty cool. Um, But ducks taste better, too. Yeah, that's, that's another one I always say as well. Uh, but here's a new question we haven't asked anybody. Um, so you got your ducks in first place, uh, sea ducks or geese? Sea ducks. To eat or to hunt? <laughs> Let's go. With, we'll go with the hunt. Oh, sea ducks. Okay. So that, that, that helps put a little perspective on it for sure. Yeah, that sea duck thing on the ocean on rock outcroppings and stuff, that sounds incredible. Really? It is, but it's one of those things, though. It's very humbling, and I don't think we touched on that. Is it is some of the hardest shooting, and you feel like a champ when you go home with one bird. Like if that's what it is. Uh, I mean, Scott, would you agree? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely super addicting and super frustrating all at the same time. Now that's just because you're having to take farther, longer shots than what you would with puddle ducks. Is that they're low and fast flyers so it's okay. like you're, it, it is yeah it's it's a very difficult situation because you're usually sitting higher than they're flying and well there's there's nothing to judge distance easily because you're yeah. just looking out at open water so you think that they're right there and usually there's a pretty good steady breeze or something and they just have to turn their wings a little bit and when they were 30 yards from you they're now almost 50 and mm-hmm. it's just it's 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 tough and you know you're waiting for them to run up the long line they're about three feet off the water and then you just start shooting and inevitably if it's somebody's first hunt when they pull that trigger and they're not swinging the gun fast enough they're shooting 10 15 feet behind the bird and you just watch everyone gets to see it yeah you just watch water explode behind the bird (laughs) you know or if you're me i mean that's just me typically yeah it's just it's so hard but it's fun it's just it's a it's like scott was touching on earlier it's the experience it's it's an adventure it's like you know getting up super early it's paddling in the dark wondering if you're gonna die no it's not that bad but (laughs) it's the experience of just you the time and place and the group that you have and the setup and just the the attention to detail um you know that's really what makes it and do you guys uh face paint or no face paint yeah, typically I'm going in. Bef- I'm going into work after. I'm trying to work in as many pre-work uh, hunts as possible. So I usually I, I've transitioned to camo, you know, buff. Yeah, I've transitioned sort of out of face paint for the most part and use a, either a buff or some sort of netting, just because I'm typically rolling up to like soccer practice or <laughs> something. You don't want to scare kids. the people around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just typically uh, well and usually the hunting's so good that i really you know try to burn the candle at both ends and so i'm showing up right when practice starts and, yeah you know changing it changing out my waiters right then and there and you know doing that sort of deal there's been a, a couple times where where i've ruled up uh in the drive-thru and forgot that i had face paint on still and I'd, yeah. you know have people like peeking around the corner from inside the store at you through the window. And I'm like, what is going on? Why do they keep looking at me? And then I look in the mirror and I, out of the corner of my eye and I see, I'm just like got face paint all over. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But definitely been there. All right. Well, 
I think that about does it. Really appreciate you guys coming on again. Um, excellent topic having you guys talk about sea ducks. Learned a ton, um, and definitely uh, was on my bucket list before, but now it is even more so. Um, definitely got me stoked for that. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks perfect. for having us on. It's uh, always a pleasure, and it's super fun to talk about hunting in April. Awesome. And go ahead and let people know um, where they can find you on social and that kind of stuff, and, um, as, as well as your your website and that kind of deal. Yeah, check out, um, you know, we just launched that new Discovery Sportsman 119. Check that out. But uh, you can check out all of our products at oldtowncanoe.com. Um, you know, we're on social as well. Old Town Canoe is our handle. Um, Facebook, Instagram, that sort of thing. We also do a variety of brand videos that are pretty entertaining and fun to watch. We, we did a, a one about our main hunting experience. So check that out on YouTube under the Old Town uh, YouTube page. But I'm on Facebook too, so just look up, look me up uh, if, you, if you're interested in learning more. Scott as well. We're happy to help anybody that wants to come up and do a DIY sort of deal up here in Maine. Awesome. Anything, any last words, Elliot? Nope, I, I'm with Jordan though. It's certainly this is a bucket list thing, and uh, we got to get it done at some point. Yeah, well, we're welcome anytime. We'll we'll take you out and bring you to some spots. Don't necessarily promise limits or anything like that, but we promise a good time. Awesome. Yeah. Alrighty, I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, Ryan from Old Town Canoe, and Scott the the Sea Duck Expert. And we'll see you guys next yeah. time. <laughs>